What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Twilight Nine Podcast. This is episode 33. I'm your host, Riley. It's crazy that it's the 33rd episode already. Uh, but we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We're a week away from the Masters. Again, we're almost at Augusta National. Again, I cannot wait. Masters, by far, my favorite tournament ever. My favorite golf course ever. But before we get to the Masters, this week we have the Valero Texas Open down at TPC San Antonio. So we're going to talk about that, obviously, throughout the show at the end, go through all the betting information for that tournament and stuff. The field's okay. Uh, I don't think it's as bad as the Honda was a couple weeks ago. It's always tough, the tournament before and after a major, to kind of get that field really, really good. It's kind of used for two things. One, either a tune-up, like if a guy wants some form, like DJ, right? He was a last-second entry. We're going to go over that. Last-second entry to the field, and that's because he hasn't been playing great up to DJ standards recently. Didn't make it out of group play for the third year in a row, like we're going to talk about later in the show. Um, So he's looking for that, but then Ricky, who needs to win this week to get into the Masters. So there's a lot of reasons why guys can go to this tournament, tune up, whatever, just to get some more FedEx Cup points if you can't get into the Masters, all that kind of stuff. But we're going to go over the the entire tournament, preview the course, everything, all the betting information that you guys need. Um, And then obviously we're going to talk about the WGC, the match play event. It lost some steam a little bit over the weekend because a lot of the big names in the field just didn't make it to the group of 16. They didn't make it to the Sweet 16. John Rahm, I think, was the lowest seed. He was the third seed going in, I believe. He was the only guy. And then the next highest or lowest, depending on how you want to look at it, was I think the 21st seed. So it was it was a lot of the lower guys. I think the average seed number in the group of 16 was like 43 or something like that. A lot of 50-something seeds. Like it was It was crazy. A lot of the underdogs won their groups, which is good, I guess, but it does lose a little bit of the steam when like, we're not seeing DJ versus John Rahm down the stretch or like JT and Jordan Spieth could have been a matchup in the second, in the sweet 16. So it loses a little bit. It was still good. Uh, The golf was not great down the stretch on Sunday afternoon. It was bad actually, but the guys were tired. That's a lot of golf. Wednesday, to Sunday, if you make it all the way to the end, I mean, you're playing four matches in two days after playing three matches in three days. Like, it's just a lot of golf. But we're going to talk about the entire thing, Billy Ho getting the dub. And then we're going to talk about Joel Damon, too. He wins at Corrales, his first PGA Tour win in over 100 starts. He played great golf. He was really struggling before that. And obviously, a bunch of messages, um, a couple of the Barstool guys we're releasing text messages of uh, conversation with Joel going into the week and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to talk about that. But yeah, just a really good feel-good story. I mean, he's one of the more likable guys on the PGA Tour. He's the best. He's a really funny guy. Great relationship with his family. Great relationship with his caddy. Just a really good story. One of the better reactions I think I've ever seen from a guy that just won a golf tournament on that green was spectacular. So we're going to go over that for a couple minutes. But before we get into anything, let's just go over some headlines. The first one... A civil rights group is calling for the PGA to move the Masters from Augusta after a new voting bill was just passed in Georgia. Um, Among the changes in the 96-page bill, this is a direct quote, uh, is a new requirement of a photo ID to vote absentee by mail after more than 1.3 million Georgians voted absentee during November's election. The bill also cuts the time period voters have to request an absentee ballot limits where ballot drop boxes can be placed and when they can be accessed. And then David J. Jones, who is the executive director of the NBG or JC, excuse me, 
which is the civil rights group calling for this, says the PGA Tour and Masters Tournament have both made commitments to help diversity golf and address racial equalities in this country. And we expect them not only to speak out against Georgia's new racist voter suppression law, but also to take action. Not going to get into the politics of all of it. Um, Obviously, that bill is awful. Um, I think President Biden actually called it atrocity, an atrocity, that bill. I don't, as much as that bill is awful for uh, for the people of Georgia, I don't think the PGA Tour is going to move the Masters from Augusta, especially since it's only next week. I don't want to get into all of it, but that's what's going on with that. If you guys have seen that going across your like Twitter feeds or what's going on. So that's a couple quotes from that. Um, we're going to talk about them a little bit in the show later in the show when we go over the uh, Valero. But Ricky Fowler needs to win this week to get into the Masters. There's been some people invited late before kind of a last minute invite to the Masters, but Ricky, if he doesn't get one of those invites, needs to win this week to get into the Masters next week. He has not missed a major, I mentioned this last week, since the Open in 2010. So he's playing for a lot this week. So we're going to talk about him later in the show, but that needed to be brought up, obviously. Um, It's going to stink if we don't see Ricky, obviously, at Augusta National. He's played well there before. I think he has a if not one top five, at least a couple. So Ricky Fowler needs to win this week. And then the last one before we get into uh, Joel Damon's win at Corrales, Roy McIlroy. This came out Monday, just literally 30 minutes maybe after we after I recorded the episode last week, so I couldn't talk about it. Rory has hired a new swing coach, Pete Cohen. Uh, he's still going to work with his guy, Michael Bannon. He's worked with him since he was eight years old. So that's going to stay... He's going to work with both of them. It's more of a travel thing. Um, I guess Bannon was having trouble traveling into the United States and back and forth and all that kind of stuff. So he's going to start working with Pete Cohen. He's worked with him in the past, kind of just kind of tip-wise. He was at the range with him at Sawgrass, at the range with him at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, but it's more of a for sure thing now, like a public thing that he's going to be one of the coaches. They're working on a bunch of stuff right now. They're trying to work on his backswing getting correct, and then everything would kind of just fall into place after that. But in recent months, his right arm on the downswing has been getting in the wrong position, kind of creating a two-way miss. So that's what they're trying to change. If you guys don't know who Pete Cohen is, he coaches Brooks Kepka, Henrik Stenson, uh, and like I said, he's worked with them in the past. So Rory, a couple coaches. He's been struggling recently. We're going to talk about him later, um, especially after the match play. Obviously, he didn't make it out of group play. We're going to talk about him, but he's going to be coached by a new guy, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, let's get into Joel Damon. His first PGA Tour victory in 111 starts on the week, he was 10th in greens of regulation, 4th in scrambling, and 2nd in putts per green of regulation. His reaction on the green was one of the better things I've ever seen from a winner after after getting a PGA Tour victory. It was so pure. It was so authentic. He almost forgot to like shake the hand of the guy that he beat. I forget the guy's name, but... And then he didn't, he calmed down, he shook the hand, and then he saw Gino as caddy, and then he was just ecstatic. And they're hugging, they were getting really emotional. His wife comes out of nowhere and almost tackles both of them. It was such a sincere reaction. And then the mics pick him up saying, like, it's so hard to win a golf tournament. It's one, it was so good to see somebody react like that. Because a lot of the winners now, and that's so good, to, that's the best part about first-time winners, 
right? They don't know how to react. They've never been there before. And then they win a lifelong goal. They capture it in a split second and they don't know how to react really. And that's when you get those genuine reactions. We've gotten so, I love a stack leaderboard, right? I love when the big guys are up there. JT's winning, DJ's winning, Rory's winning, Speed's up there. But when they win, they've won so many times that it's just like, oh, thank you. I'll collect my $1.2 million check and kind of move on with it. When you get these, events that are going on at the same time and they're a little bit of weaker fields filled with guys that have never won before and you get this kind of reaction, it's hard to beat that. So it was amazing to see. He's a cancer survivor. His story is just incredible. Starting at the American Express this year in 2021, Joel made seven starts before this week. He missed six of the cuts and his one weekend appearance ended T60 at Pebble. That's just... He went to Vegas. A couple of the a couple of texts emerged on Twitter. I guess he went to Vegas for kind of just a reset, figure out how to play golf again, and then he comes back first start since the Vegas reset, and he wins. So it was just a fantastic story. You love to see that kind of shit. It's one of my favorite things that can happen in golf is that first time winner reaction, and his did not disappoint. Again, like I said at the start of the show, he's one of the more liked guys on the PGA Tour phenomenal really funny guy gets along with everybody has obviously been doing it for a really long time not a really long time but i mean over a hundred starts that's getting it done he's had some close uh close calls in the past um couple top fives but joel damon congratulations man awesome awesome to see that win but let's jump into the match play billy horschel wins beat Scotty Scheffler, the Texan. Scotty Scheffler was playing out of his ass. His match with Ian Poulter was fantastic. I forget what hole it was, maybe 12. Poulter hit a 44-foot birdie putt, and then Scheffler had to chip in from off the green, and he does. Gave a little fist pump right to Poulter, kind of staring at him. Beats him, ends up getting to the finals, and then Billy Horschel ended up winning. Down the stretch on Sunday, Scotty missed a couple very makeable birdie putts. I mean, we're talking like a 12-footer, and then I think he missed like a 7-footer. So he definitely, definitely had the opportunity to get back in the match. I think he was two down, and then he missed a short one, and then he missed a short one. He could have easily brought that thing to even, and then he just couldn't do it. Billy only made one birdie in the final round, and it was a chip-in on the fifth hole. Like, that, that is bad golf. That's bad golf. On the coverage... The last, I think, three hours of the coverage, no one made a birdie. There was just no birdies being made. It was awful TV. I turned it off, to be honest with you. I didn't I didn't watch the ending. Um, but again, that's a long week. You come in, play Wednesday, match. Thursday, match. Friday, match. A lot of them went to extras. I think Billy actually had to go to extra holes. He had to go to a playoff to win his group. And then you have two matches on Saturday and two matches on Sunday. If you make it to Sunday, crazy amount of golf. And that, the end product, when you get there Sunday afternoon after all of that golf in such a short amount of time, the end product is just not going to be that great. And that's what happened. He made one birdie on Sunday. In the last three hours, there wasn't a single birdie made. Like the dude played 122 holes in five days. You're not going to be able to put together a 66 in that last round. It's just not going to happen. So a lot of golf. It's really tough to change the format, really. I mean, it's it's tough. There was, and that's what we're going to talk about. It's like, does the format need changing? Like I, when this tournament first came around, it was a... March Madness bracket, right? 64 guys in the field, and it started like March Madness. You play a guy, you move on to round of 32. You play a guy, move to the Sweet 16. Play a guy, Elite Eight. Like that's how they used to do it. And then they, I forget when they moved to the pool play, but then they moved to pool play. 
And to be honest, I like the March Madness bracket a little bit more, I think. I don't know if it's a fair way to do it. I think the pool play is fine. I would rather them go to the March Madness bracket. I think it's a little bit more entertaining. Um, Does it protect the higher seeds a little bit more to get further in the tournament? Maybe, right? DJ going into the week would have played the 64th ranked guy instead of having some like good guys sprinkled in there, right? So that, that could definitely help. If you wanted bigger names to make it further along in the tournament, making it more of a March Madness bracket the entire way would definitely help with that. But I don't know. I I like it. I would prefer personally March Madness bracket. I think that would be way more fun, but who knows? And then there was a debate going around on Twitter saying, should one of the majors during the year be match play? I don't think so. I don't agree with that. I think it would be cool for the first like couple days but then once you start getting into Sunday with so many matches, where that Sunday product would not be very good. Like we saw it. The Sunday round sucked. It was awful golf. Sure, you want to have hard golf sometimes. Like Winfoot was incredibly entertaining, but that's because the golf course was so hard. Austin Country Club, while it's tough in some spots, isn't crazy difficult. But when you're playing that last round on Sunday at not that difficult a golf course and there's no birdies, like who the fuck wants to watch that? That's just like me going to Austin Country Club and having like thousands of people watch me go shoot like 77 at Austin Country Club. Like no one wants to watch that bullshit. So would I put it as a major? No, a major should be stroke play. And I think it was so... Sobel, I think on Twitter was like saying like, no, that is a terrible idea. I think I agree. I don't think it should come close to a major. It would never become a major format ever. I don't think the USGA, the PGA, anybody would change it to that. That was just going, what was going on on Twitter. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Uh, The third place match, Cooch and Perez. Not a lot of people were, a lot of people get confused in that portion. Like, why even play that? Well, it's because it's the difference of a lot of FedEx Cup points. I don't know the exact amount. But then Cooch, who beat Perez in the third round, in the third place match, rather, just won an extra $140,000. So, yeah, you got to play that. <laughs> you got to play that event. And he's a monster at this event. He was a, he lost to uh, kids last year in the finals. So, Matt Coocher loves him some match play, loves him some Austin Country Club. And he just did it again this year. So, but... Overall, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, again, it's one of my favorite tournaments of the year. I would have rather been watching like Jordan and Justin and DJ and Rom and all those guys and Rory like Saturday. I would have much rather have done that instead of watching like Billy Horschel and Ian Poulter and Matt Kuchar and all these guys, that, whatever. Um, but overall, it was pretty good. Sunday sucked, but it was good. A lot of, a lot of, like highlight moments Sergio beating Lee Westwood in extra holes I think on the fourth playoff hole with an ace just fuck you to Lee Westwood's face and then the next morning I think on the same hole Tommy Fleetwood just cans cans an ace to win his match like it was great there was a lot of really good moments um Rory chipped in for Eagle on that drivable par four on the back nine against Cameron Smith on Friday to even up the match at that point, I think. We're about to talk about Rory, but there's a lot, there was a lot of good moments. So it was a good tournament. But getting to Rory got killed by Poulter on Wednesday. I was really looking forward to that match because they're good buddies. If you guys remember the uh, the video clip that came out at the players after Thursday, they were like having lunch together after shooting like plus seven and plus eight or whatever the fuck it was. Rory got killed by Poulter. And then I think it was like four and three or like five and four. He got killed. And then after that, goes to the range and hits 11 bags of balls. 
11. Like he was grinding after that. Comes back out and beats and beats the shit out of Lanto Griffin on Thursday, four and three. And then on Friday, he played really good golf. Pretty good golf against Cameron Smith. I don't remember what they shot. If I can look it up real quick, I can tell you. Um, I forget what they shot. I know Cameron Smith was making a bunch of birdies. And then, if I can find it real quick, and they they were just making a lot of birdies. It was a really good match. Came down to the came down to the end. Um, Rory was one up. I think he was one up, or he got it to even on sixteen, and then on seventeen, Cameron made. I think he made a par to win it, but Rory's tee shot was one of the worst wedges I've ever seen him hit in my entire life. I mean, it was 125 yards. He pulled it 30 yards left and went into the shit. Um, but let's see how many birdies these guys made. So Rory made one, two, three, made an eagle, made another birdie, made another birdie, made another birdie on 18. So they were making a lot of birdies, and that birdie on 18 was actually sick too. So that match was sweet. They ended up tying, so Rory was 1-1-1 for the week. Played pretty good. The swing definitely looks a lot better on Thursday and Friday. It was a little bit steeper. He was getting flat. It was a little bit steeper. He looked way more control of the ball. The driver seemed to be back. His short game looked really good. Um, So he's not in San Antonio this week for the Valero. The next stop that we're going to see him at is Augusta National. So we'll see. Um, the last time I think they were bringing out all these stats about the worst match play loss of his career because Poulter was one of them. I think he lost to somebody in 2011, like seven and six or like eight and seven. And then the very next week after getting kicked out of this tournament, he just won the U.S. Open. So who knows? Uh, he's coming off a of top five at the Masters. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about him next week when we do the Augusta National um, Masters preview show or whatever. But we'll see. I liked what I saw out of Rory on Thursday and Friday. So we'll see if that can carry over. But who knows? Who knows if that's going to happen? But let's get into the Valero, see what's going on. Like I've already mentioned a couple times, it's almost Masters week. But before we go to Georgia, we got to go to San Antonio. And I mentioned it kind of at the top of the show, but this tournament kind of serves as either like a tune-up or holy fuck, I need to make a really good start and get into this field. Dustin Johnson, struggling of late. He's made three starts since his top 10 at the Genesis. T54, T48, and he didn't make out of the group stage um, at the WGC match play for the third year in a row. He won the event, I believe, in 20, what would that be, 2016 or 2017? And then all three appearances since then, he hasn't made it out of his group. So he's been he's struggling at that event and of late this season. Late addition to the field. I think it was literally Friday. Once he didn't win his group, he just was like, oh, shit, I got to play more golf before the Masters. So he got into the field. He's the defending champion, obviously, won back in November. So he needs to be in good form. We'll see what happens. He's easily the betting favorite by a lot. So we'll see if DJ can get it together. And then Ricky Fowler, on the other hand, just doesn't have a spot in the Masters. He needs a win. The only result that gets him into the Masters after the Valero Texas Open is if he is crowned the champion. He hasn't missed a major since the 2010 Open. He's 94th in the official World Golf Rankings. He's almost outside the top 100. Ricky Fowler, one of the most recognizable recognizable, excuse me, names on the PGA Tour, faces he's in every fucking commercial ever made about golf ever made about farmer's insurance, all that shit. Faldo was giving him shit, which was great. Actually, Ricky's reaction was class act. It was perfect. But his only he's only made one start at this event, and it was a top 20. So he has good history here. He has been sucking so far this season. He's made, missed a lot of cuts, 
only has one top 10, or not, not even a top 10, only one top 20, and it was T20, which we'll go over when we get to the betting card. He's on there as of now, just because I would feel stupid if he gets into contention and then ends up like winning and I didn't put any money on him, but we'll get into that. Other big names in the field, Tony Finau, Jordan Spieth, Gary Woodland, Scotty Scheffler, Matsuyama. So there are some guys. Uh, there are some big names. So it's going to be it's going to be a nice little warm-up for Augusta National, I think. The course, TPC San Antonio, we're at the Oaks course. It's a par 72, a little over 7,400 yards, Bermuda Greens. There's spots in this golf course that's a little bit open, but most of the fairways are tight. They're tree-lined, so driver is going to be mega important this week. You need to hit fairways, even a little bit over driving distance. I would rather have fairways and regulation over driver distance this week, and that is kind of reflected in the winners. Like Charlie Hoffman's won this event. Kevin Chappell's won this event. Ryan Moore is up there a lot, which we'll get to. So it's not a it's not about bombing the golf ball. You just need to be in control of your game, tee to green. That's what's important here. Uh, the weather looks pretty good, but it looks like the wind could pick up a little bit. Thursday is 68 and sunny with 13 mile an hour winds. Uh, Friday is 69, nice with 13 mile an hour winds. Saturday, 70 with 12 mile an hour winds. And then Sunday is 78 with 13 mile an hour winds. So it gets warmer throughout the week. The wind stays up, but it's going to be a little cloudy. Key stats. Um, like I said, fairways and regulation are going to be really important this week. The guys need to play from the fairway. If you're not playing from the fairway, you're going to be in tree-lined rough, and that makes it really hard to go at certain sections of the green. It's going to be a lot of punch-outs to the front of the green, and then you're going to need to be able to get up and down. So you need to be able to hit fairways and regulation. And then when you don't, another important uh, stat this week is going to be strokes gained around the green. In the chart, I'm looking at a chart at Data Golf. Uh, it's what causes the variance in scoring. What like key stat is important, like separates the field is what it is. And strokes gained around the green is way higher than tour average, which causes the difference in scoring at this event. So strokes gained around the green is going to be really important. Your short game needs to be there. Um, if it put in perspective of all, Patrick Reed was a runner up at this event a couple years ago. So guys with really good short games play pretty well here. Um, tricky runoff areas. It's just tightly, tightly mown kind of just tricky green, tricky areas around the green. You just need to be able to get up and down. It's not thick rough that you can kind of just out splash it, let it run out the hole. You need to play off mounds with spin, all that kind of shit. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And then Justin Ray had a tweet that went out earlier that, uh, today that says strokes gained approach ranks for the last three winners of this event. Corey Connors, who won in 2019, ranked first in stroke chain approach. Uh, Landry in 2018 ranked first and Kevin Chappell in 2017 ranked second. So that is also, I mean, iron play is important every week, but obviously at the Valero Texas Open, it is mega important because the winners of that category usually also win the golf tournament. So that's going to be also something that we're going to be looking at. Uh, data golf information, course fit, nine bridges is number one. TPC Summerlin's number two. And number three is Monterey Peninsula, which if you don't know, that's usually the third course in rotation for the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. That's what that course is. Uh, trending of the players in this field, number one is Scotty Scheffler. He's coming off a runner-up finish. His last three starts are fifth, miscut, and a second. Number two is actually the little lefty, Brian Harmon, T43, T3, T5. And then number three is Jordan Spieth, T4, T48, T9. 
So when we start seeing Jordan up in those trending numbers, that's what we like to see. Percent chance to win baseline course history and fit. Dustin Johnson, number one, to no surprise. He has over a 10% chance of winning in quarter data golf. That is ridiculously high. That's probably one of the biggest numbers I've ever seen. Tony Finau is number two at 5.6%, and Scotty Scheffler is at 5.1%. The Texan is going to be probably in the mix again another week down in Texas. So betting odds, Dustin Johnson is the clear favorite by 300 points, actually. Dustin Johnson's plus 700 to win. Next up is Tony Finau at plus 13. Scotty Scheffler plus 15. Jordan Spieth plus 16.5. Corey Connors plus 19. Matsuyama's plus 21. Answer is plus 22. Ryan Palmer's plus 3. Uh, Charlie Hoffman's plus 3.65. Uh, Brandon Steele, 41.5. Zach Johnson, 45, and Chris Kirk, 46.5. So, like I said, there's a decent amount, like Matsuyama's here, Answers here, Hoffman, Steele, all that kind of stuff. So, it's going to be a little bit tricky this week, um, just because the guys that made it to the weekend at the WGC match play played a fuck ton of golf. They played a lot of golf, especially for the older guys. Like, for example, Kuchar has good history here. The last time this event was played back in 2019, he had a top 10. But he made it all the way to Sunday afternoon and played the max amount of golf he possibly could. So, and he's older guy, obviously. He's got good value for a top 30 finish at plus 140. I don't know if I'm going to take that just because of the fatigue factor, right? I don't know if he's going to come out and kind of either miss the cut or just, you know, inside the top 50 just because it's a long fucking week in Austin. I don't know how that's going to work. Obviously, these guys are in better shape than me. I, do, I just haven't decided if I'm going to include a lot of the guys that made it late into the WGC match play, including Scotty Scheffler. I mean, he played also the max amount of golf you can play, and he's one of the favorites this week. I just don't know if I'm going to put any money on those kind of guys just because I don't know how the fatigue is going to, is going to affect them. So, But let's get into it. First guy we're going to talk about is a guy I'm not his biggest fan. I've talked shit about him in the past. Um, that's Charlie Hoffman, the seagull. We're probably going to get him, though, for a top 20 at plus 175. That's going to be a spot that we're going to be looking at. He won this event back in 2016. The last time it was played in 2019, he came in solo second. Since February 1st, Charlie Hoffman has been the sixth best iron player in the entire world, gaining 1.2 strokes per round in strokes gain approach. He missed the cut at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, but since that point has two top 10s, a top 20 at the Players, and last week at Corrales at the offside event. He was playing really well, and then I think he shot plus five in the final round and then ended up finishing, I don't even know, like T30 something. So his week down in Corrales was way better than his finishing position. So he's playing good golf right now. His irons are really good. And like I said, the last three times this event was played, the winner was either first or second in strokes and approach. And Charlie Hoffman is one of the hottest iron players in the world right now. So for him to have a really good week just makes all the sense in the world. So a top 20 for Charlie Hoffman should be a pretty easy hit. Again, I'm not his biggest fan. He'll probably fuck me in this spot, but plus 175, that is really good value for a guy coming in hot with the irons and loves this golf tournament. So that's going to be definitely one of the guys that we target for sure. Another one, actually a good buddy of Charlie Hoffman, and one of my like low-key guys that I always kind of root for, and that's Kevin Chappell. Um, we're going to probably target him for probably like a top 40 pick, go kind of in that direction, but he 
like Charlie Hoffman, is also a past champion of this event, won it just a couple years ago back in 2017, and in 2016 has a top five, T4. He's only made two starts on tour since the beginning of 2021, so he has not been playing a lot. He's coming back from injury. He's actually on um, PGA Tour injury exemption right now. I think that's how he's playing in these tournaments. But he's only made two starts this year, his latest being the Honda Classic, but he had a top 15, T13. His last appearance at the Valero was a T30 back in 2018. He didn't play in 2019 due to injury. But I always like rooting for Kevin Chapel. He's got a beautiful golf swing. He's one of the guys to shoot 59 on the PGA Tour. He's just a really good guy, down-to-earth guy. He's going to be probably one of the guys we target for a top 40-ish finish, probably is where we're going to put him. This is the more and more I looked into the field and more and more I looked into the past results and the stats and all that kind of stuff. This is definitely a golf course that has like the horses for courses thing. Like all the same guys are just at the top of the leaderboard at this tournament all the time. And Kevin Chappell seems to be one of those guys. So coming off a T13 performance at the Honda Classic in really tough conditions and windy conditions like it's going to be in San Antonio this week, I think that pick makes all the sense in the world. You can probably get some still some pretty good value for them. I wonder if I can... I'll pull up DraftKings right now and see how quickly I can get it for you guys. But I just think you're still going to be able to get plus money value for a guy like Kevin Chappell in a top 40 spot. So with his record here, I just think that's kind of a no-brainer. Let me see if I can get it real quick. Top 40, Kevin Chappell. He's going to be way down the list because he hasn't really been making any noise. Plus 175 for a top 40. So yeah, we're probably going to end up taking that when all the betting stuff comes out on Wednesday uh, morning, but that's probably going to be one of our plays. He's playing decent golf in tough conditions a couple weeks ago, going down to a course that he really likes. And, you know, I like root for Kevin Chappell. So next one up that uh, Brandon Steele. So we actually won some money off of him a couple weeks ago. Actually, I think it was at the Honda when he finished inside the top five. He's made eight starts in 2021. He's made every single cut. His most recent, like I just said, was a T3 at the Honda Classic just a few weeks ago in windy conditions, just like it's going to be in San Antonio this week. He actually won this event back in 2011. And then over the last eight years, 10 years, he's had other great finishes here. I think he actually had a top 20, a top 10. So he's played decent. Those were actually a couple years ago. I think those are from like 2015, 2016. Recently, he hasn't been playing great at this event, but he's playing really good golf, really consistent golf. So I like Brandon Steele again. That's probably going to be more of a top 30 play. Again, let's see if I can pull it up really quick. Brandon Steele's plus money for a top 30 at plus 120. If you wanted him for a top 20, you could actually get it at plus 200. So that's really good value for a guy in a weak field playing really good golf. That's probably going to be a no-brainer. Next up is a guy that I think is probably going to be my pick to win, and that's going to be Abraham Answer. He had it absolutely rolling at the WGC match play. He was 2-0. He was two up on Victor Hovland with five holes left in their match. They, I think they halved, what would that be, 14. And then Hovland won 15, 16, and 17 to go one up. And then they tied the last two holes, or the last hole, for Hovland to win. So answer ended group play two and one tied with Kevin Streelman and they went to a playoff. Hit a great drive, stuffed the seven feet, but Streelman hit a great shot into like 11 feet, I think. Kevin made the 11 footer for birdie. Answer missed his seven footer for birdie, eliminated from the golf tournament. Really rough, like that stretch was probably two hours for answer. He looked 
commanding, like the guy that was going to come out of that group and then a shitty two hours, and he just left Austin. But he's playing really good golf. Um, he's made seven starts in 2021. Four of those are top 25s. He had a top five back at the American Express on the year. He's second on tour in driving accuracy, which is huge. He's 14th in greens of regulation. Really good tee to green. Gives himself a lot of birdie chances. He doesn't have a high finish at this event yet. He's made three three starts at the Valero, but he's made the cut all three times. I love him this week. I think he's... Not a lot of people are going to look at him because they're going to be they're going to come off and say, "Oh, he didn't even advance into the whatever his last start." Blah blah blah. I just think he's going to have a really good week. He hits a bunch of fairways. His irons can get really hot if he makes putts. He's going to be there come Sunday afternoon. I just think answers in for a really really good week. I don't think his finish at the WGC match play showed how well he's playing right now and how well he's commanding his golf ball. He's playing fantastic golf. I really like him, especially in a weak field. He's one of the bigger names in a weak field, and he's still getting really good odds. I mean, you don't even see him until plus 2,200. So I love that this week. He's probably going to be end up being my pick to win. But answer, that is probably going to be a top 20 lock if it's plus money. Uh, you can get, yeah, plus 125 for a top 20. That is absolutely going to be on the card come Wednesday. Next up is a guy that really doesn't get talked about a lot until you get to this tournament every single year, and that's Ryan Moore, another guy that loves this golf course. Justin Ray, another tweet from Justin Ray. There are 80 players with 10-plus rounds at the Valero Texas Open since 2015. Only three players in that span have averaged 0.5 strokes gained per round off the tee, on approach shots, and on the greens. Charlie Hoffman, Ryan Palmer, and Ryan Moore. He's improved a position at this event three years in a row. 2017, he was T18. 2018, he was seventh. Last year, he was solo third. 2021 for Ryan, it's been tough. He's only made, he's made six starts. He's missed four cuts, and his best finish isn't even inside the top 25. It was T26 is his best finish. But he hits a lot of greens. He hits a lot of fairways. I think he's hitting like 74% of fairways right now, but he hasn't played enough golf to like rank in the PGA Tour standings. He hits a lot of fairways. He hits a lot of greens. So it's going to be all on the putter. If he can make putts, he's going to be there Sunday afternoon. If not, who knows where he's going to end up. But despite his current run in 2021 this season so far, it's tough to ignore a guy that's named pop up every single year when they get to Valero Texas Open. So we're going to end up taking Ryan Moore for sure. I don't know where yet. For top 30, let's see if I can find him real quick. For top 30, you can get him at, I don't know if he's this far down the list because he dominates this golf tournament. I don't see him. He must be, oh, Ryan Moore right here. He's with Ricky. Plus 175 for a top 30. So he's probably going to even be, yeah, plus 125 for a top 40 for a guy that just dominates this golf tournament. He hasn't won it yet. Three straight top 20s, two straight straight top 10s. I love that. So Ryan Moore is definitely going to be a guy to watch. Next one up, Andrew Putnam started his 21, uh, 2021 season with a missed cut, and then he just missed the cut at the players. But everything sandwiched in between that has been fantastic. He had top fives at the Arnold Palmer, had a top five in Puerto Rico, had another top 10 at the uh, Waste Management in Phoenix. He finished T36 here last year, but had a top 10 in 2018. He's playing really fucking good golf right now. 
really good, kind of flying under the radar in this tournament just because his last start was a miscut, but before that was playing fantastic golf for like three months straight. He's plus 188 for a top 30, which means he's going to be plus value for a top 40. Once we can get a bunch of guys on the card with plus value playing good golf for top 40s, that's a week that we could win a lot of money. I like Andrew Putnam this week for sure. Another guy that's just been making cut after cut after cut, Zach Johnson, the most boring guy on the PGA Tour. He's made 14 straight cuts. He's posted four top 10s. In his last start, he was T8 at the Honda Classic. He's He uh, finished fifth in his latest um, Valero Open start in 2018. He had another, he had a T6 back in 2014. In his last 24 rounds at the Valero Texas Open, he's first T to green, third in strokes gained around the green, and sixth in strokes gained total. Crazy stats for Zach Johnson, for ZJ. He could have a really good week. Again, he's another that a guy that you can find plus value for a top 30 playing good golf really consistently and has had success at this golf tournament before. He's plus 120 for a top 30. That is also probably going to go on the card. A lot of boring names on the golf on the card this week, but they're playing good golf at a golf tournament that they've played well at the past. Just really hard to ignore that. And then the last one that we're going to talk about before we get out of here, and that's Ricky. Nothing in his stats points to him having a good week this week. Just doesn't. Driving it off the planet, he like ranked 200th in driving accuracy. Like nothing about his stat line says that he's going to have a good week this week. Nothing. But a trip to Augusta National next week is on the line. And if that isn't motivation for you to come out and just put your dick on the table, and have a gigantic week. I don't know what is. I don't know what is. His only start here was a top 20, T17. Eight starts this year. He's missed three cuts and has only finished inside the top 20 once, and that was a T20 at the Genesis. Like I said, nothing in his stats is pointing to a good week. But if it comes down to Sunday afternoon and Ricky Fowler's inside the top five with a trip to Augusta National on the line and I didn't bet on him, I'm going to feel really stupid. And he's plus money for a top 40. So all he's got to do is make the cut and then have an okay weekend. And then we're going to hit that bet. He's plus 125 for a top 40. That's probably going to go on the card too. I would just feel like an idiot if he didn't end up on the card and then he and then he has a good week at San Antonio. I just think with a trip to Augusta National on the line, I think he can make a run. I hope he makes a run. I want to watch Ricky at the Masters. So hopefully he can he can uh, make a run. But the, that's the uh, card so far. What is that? Three, four, seven, eight guys. So I got I to gotta will it down a little bit. But I think out of all those guys, I think answer is going to be my pick to win. That's the guy I think I'm looking at this week. But that's it, guys. That's it. That's the show. Um, follow us on Instagram, at Twilight9Pod. Follow my my own Instagram at Riley Hamill underscore send in any questions you got the betting information, all that kind of stuff is going to be posted. Like it always is like Wednesday mid morning. Make sure you guys share around the show to anybody in your life that loves golf. It's awesome to hear from you guys in the DMS and stuff messages me on Instagram. Um, actually I just, now that I'm looking at my phone, I have a new one. Love hearing from you guys. So keep it going. Follow us on all the socials and I will talk to you guys next week for the fucking masters. Talk to you guys later. Peace.